Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Carton Blue podcast and it's the Tuesday show this week as we filmed our post-match reaction really late on Sunday so I presume that most people would watch that on Monday and having a Monday show be extra content would be a bit too much for people's feed so I've pushed this back to the Tuesday show now to be extra confusing although this should be for one week only. Very busy week for you, John Townley as well. How's things, how are you? Yeah, we like it busy and we like it when Villa are winning games. I'm great, mate. What a time to be a Villa fan. 11 league wins in a row now and we're, we're not just beating teams are we? we're like putting them away dispatching them good teams as well obviously Brighton a few weeks ago and uh, West Ham on Sunday so um, yeah I'm doing well thanks mate yeah 10 goals scored in those two games you mentioned about I've got a few stats later on for like the record under Emery so far in 2023 where Villa are where, where Ollie Watkins is it, it all makes for lovely reading and it makes this job uh, extra easy to do, or, or you know, more, even more of a privilege than it is anyway, to come on here and be talking about Aston Villa victories as well. It isn't the case, but it feels like Villa are just winning every week. I know we drew to Wolves before the international break and we got battered by Newcastle and Liverpool and the European defeat and whatever else. But the general feeling is just like, especially at Villa Park, well, we win. And that's what Aston Villa are now. And that feels so good. Yeah, absolutely. And looking forward a little bit more, you've got Luton and Fulham to come in the next few weeks and I wrote a piece this well uh, <laughs> late last night or early in the early hours of the morning uh, to go out this morning about that because yeah the likelihood is that Villa will actually equal their record um equal that record sorry from 1983 the 13 league wins in a row but Villa won't just beat Fulham and Luton if that makes sense they'll they'll the likelihood is they'll beat them because they've taken every game as as singular in in that run, if if that makes sense, they haven't just um, you know shown up to games and beat the opposition. They've played a game plan in each one, each one different as well. You know, West Ham and Brighton are two completely different teams. Yeah, yeah they are getting the same outcome, um, scoring goals, looking uh, good defensively, uh, and being you know super as a team. So coming into those Luton and Fulham games, say coming up, Villa won't underestimate those teams. Yes, they've won eleven games in a row going into Luton, for example, but they're not just going to think, "Oh, you know, that'll be twelve then." They'll Emery will have a game plan <laughs> to beat yeah, Luton, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why we've been on this run. It's not just because we've got good players and because we're better than the opposition. We saw it, um, you know, for example, in the Everton League Cup game, he makes a couple of changes and the players step off a little bit, and that's what happens when you're not at your hundred percent level against any opposition um that are a premier league team so that's for me the um the kind of important thing to remember 
yes, it's 11 wins and that says a lot, but it's also, you know, that's that's a run going back what, seven months or something from March, I believe. Um, you know, Villa don't just win because it's Fortress Villa Park. They do it because Emery's got a game plan in every game and they've, uh, you know, credit to the players, they're listening to them and then they're getting the uh, rewards from it. Yeah, and although there might be a bit of disrespect from the fan base and maybe from this podcast towards that Luton game as oh, we're at home, we should win, it should be quite easy. There won't be any disrespect from, from Unai Emery yeah. and, the, and the side. They'll set up knowing that every game in the Premier yeah, League is point. difficult. You, you can't go on uh, on a game, uh, sorry, on a, on a run of winning 11 games kind of overlooking any opponent. You just simply can't. Villa haven't, in that run, they haven't beaten... Um, too many top teams, should we say? Because obviously we have Arsenal and Man City coming up after uh, the game against Fulham, I think, at home in those mm-hmm. you know home games, which will obviously be a, a big test of that winning run. Um, but along the way, you can't, as I said, you can't uh, look too forward in that run. Every game is is you know kind of Villa play on their own merit, on on its own merit. Sorry, um, and that's why we're in such a good position, and that's why only Man City have got more points than us uh, since the start of the year. Yeah, which is an unbelievable record, that isn't it? Now, when we were talking about that, and this obviously stat pops up every so often, doesn't it? Because Villa keep picking up points. But when we were talking about like the most points earned in 2023 so far, and it was March, April, May, it's like, well, it's only four months, it's only five months. Still impressive. In October now. Yeah, it's still impressive, of course. But now it's like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. almost a, a full Premier League season's worth of games at this point that we're talking about, yeah. which uh, is even more impressive. Now, I said on the post-match show that we filmed on Sunday um, that I was slightly wary of West Ham actually despite I mean I don't know whether anyone predicted 4-1 or not like surely, <laughs> surely no one does that uh, but I was quite wary of West Ham because of the phys- physicality and that that may be a problem for someone like Paul Torres that we've seen before and that West Ham yeah. can set up in a certain way as they did against Brighton and maybe they could come and do a job on us and, and that's how I felt before the game despite that, that prediction um but that wasn't the case at all, was it? West Ham threatened in dribs and drabs, but but not really. Villa were the dominant side throughout and thoroughly deserving of their, their three points. Exactly. That's when it comes to respecting your opponent and looking at how you can attack them, but also how you can you know mitigate their threats. And Emery said in an interview after the game that... Um, he said something along the lines of the consequence of scoring goals. So the consequence of defending well is to then score goals. Is in if Villa defend well, they'll score goals. And you know he means that because of how Villa play in terms of if they defend well, then they can build up with the ball and control the match. Therefore, there's going to be more chances. And I, I'm not privy to how West Ham sort of um, build up built up for this game and how they prepared for it. Sorry. But I just felt like a Villa were more aware of West Ham's threat and how they could uh, combat them. And then, you know, Ollie Watkins and Musa Diaba, you don't have to kind of tell them what to do. As soon as they get into the final third, they have that link up and, um, you know, they're two quality players. And I think that was actually the difference on the day. West Ham didn't have that quality in the final third. Their goal was you know, very jammy, wasn't it really? Uh, Antonio didn't have a great game. But Villa had Ollie Watkins, who's going to score near enough to 20 goals this season, I think, um, if not more. And they have Moussa Diaby, who I thought was excellent as well, by the way, although he didn't uh, get a goal or did he get an assist? I'm not too sure that he did. Um, but he was still running the channel, still always a nuisance. And yes, Antonio gives you that <clears throat> in some way, but Villa were well prepared for that. They were prepared for Bowen's threat. They were prepared for um, Antonio and Paqueta as well, who's an outstanding player, by the way. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, again, it's credit to how Villa set up for the game. And the, there will never be a game under Emery's tenure where 
we'll be sitting here and thinking, oh, well, we didn't, you know, prepare for that one well, or we, um, do you know what I mean? Whereas I think if you look at the West Ham side of it, I don't think they were quite ready for what we were um, going to mm. give them. I think they were more concerned about, you know, kind of what, what can we do from set pieces? How can we get Antonio, you know, onto Torres, for example, without actually um, thinking, well, how, how we can defend what Villa have got? Whereas Emery looks at the whole picture and, you know, he knows exactly what he's doing. is so experienced and that's how Villa are turning over teams at the moment. Me and Matt did a segment on the post-match show yesterday or Sunday uh, of like the unsung man of the match. Now you'll have like Douglas Louise and Ollie Watkins be the obvious picks for man of the match because they've scored goals. Now, a way to talk about different players that maybe won't get the recognition is having this little segment of unsung man of the match, somebody that you you liked what they did or what they um, contributed, but maybe don't get the plaudits. Is there anyone that stands out to you? In a game like that, similarly to the game against Brighton, every player has played at a you know, at least eight out of ten. So, and it's a big team effort. So you could literally go through like Matty Cash, uh, Dean, John McGinn played well, Diaby played like everyone played well. Um, but I just thought, and everyone's probably saying the same thing. But Edry Cons is just—he was just faultless again. You're kind of running out of ways to say it now. And we've been Villa fans at least have been saying it for you know months and months, even years really. Obviously, he like Mings, like other players, struggled a little bit when Villa. Um, had that bad run of form under Dean Smith and then uh, a little bit under Steven Gerrard as well, of course. But Concer is he's so good. Like he's he's a Rolls Royce. He doesn't always have to pick out, you know, a pass to Ollie Watkins down the channel like Pau Torres might is in, you know, in terms of that kind of a progressive pass, but he's always so safe with his passes. Um he keeps the ball well. Yesterday I think he had ninety six percent passing accuracy. So on the ball he can do it all. Uh, in terms of you know, playing that role with Torres, he doesn't have to do what Torres does because Torres does it so well. But defensively, just he, there's never a moment of worry or panic. And we knew this when mm. um, when he uh, was playing very well in the 2020 to 21 season, his second campaign at Villa. Um, we noticed that you know he'd back off and then he'd just slowly ease the attacker out of the way and win possession back for Villa as if it was you know um, you know he made it look so easy. And now he's doing it without us even you know, having to praise him afterwards, but he does it so, so often. And again, yesterday, that was a really difficult task. Um, you know, marshalling Antonio, uh, the other threats that West Ham have, it's a, you know, a big, powerful team. Uh, Brighton, in a very different way, they have uh, a lot of tricky players, players who can dribble with the ball, beat players and um, work patterns of play. So, Conscious is overcoming every task and every challenge that's kind of put his way. Against Newcastle, he made a silly error. Um, but every every top player makes errors, don't they? And it's how you respond. It's responded as well as you could possibly wish for. And yeah, he's, he's just a remarkable player. And people say, oh, he's probably England's best centre-back. And I don't know if he's better than John Stones, but are there any better English centre-backs than Ezra Concer right now? But I can't think of one that's better than him. Harry Maguire isn't. I can interrupt you there. As, as much uh, as we can debate how good he is as an English defender, I think he's one of the best centre-halves in the Premier League. Well, yeah, I mean, it depends how many you want to kind of put in the category, but he's he's up there as, you know, Villa are a great team and he's one of our best players and certainly our best centre-back. Uh, in t- I say certainly our best centre-back. He's different to Torres, but he's so yeah. important. And yeah, that's why I'm putting him kind of on that, you know, on that sort of periphery with John Stones and therefore, yeah, you're right, Danny, he would be one of the best centre-backs in the league and you just hope that his form will continue and there's no reason why I suggest it wouldn't because he's not, he's not just you know, played 10 good games. Um, and before that, there was question marks. For years now, Villa know that he's an excellent centre-back. Uh, he's at yeah. a great age as well to improve. Just, just everything so effortlessly. And 
yeah, tremendous footballer and he's adding that leadership quality to his to his game as well now that Mings is um out for at least, you know, most of this season, potentially the whole campaign. So um yeah, again, just against West Ham, excellent. You could go across the whole sort of team, but Conte just he stands out by not standing out, if that makes sense, because as a centre back you don't want to be seen doing anything you know, risky on the ball or anything like that. But defensively he's just uh, a fantastic player in terms of him being maybe underappreciated or underrated i don't think villa fans underrated him or under, no, no, underappreciated no. him but i also think with mings next to him mings again in his own right is an excellent player and i think because he was so um you know quite aggressive he's He's big, he's left-footed, he's, you know, he's quite noticeable on the pitch, if that makes mm. sense. You, you automatically kind of think, oh, well, um, not that I Ming's mean, carrying contra at all, because that certainly wasn't the case. Um, but you tend to kind of put the um, the praise on Ming's potentially, I don't know, uh, when Ming's would probably be the first person to say that, yeah, I would wanna, wouldn't want to play with any other centre-back than Esri Concer. Um you know, as, as my partner, and that showed at the back end of the last season when Villa kept keeping clean sheets and defensively they were brilliant. The line that they played as well in uh, Concer and Mings had that on lock, didn't they? And the rest of the defence, uh, Cash, Ashley Young and uh, Moreno, Luca Dane, they all had a really good um, understanding of each other's games. And again, I think that's testament to Concer as well because he has that ability to communicate and how he reads the games how he reads the game, sorry, is so uh, important. And it was interesting, obviously, Dane Smith was there yesterday as well. He signed Concer, he signed... Uh, Ollie Watkins, Matty Cash, Emmy Martinez was signed under Smith, as was Lucas Louise. Um, Louise. I think five of the 11 were all Dean Smith players. So it was nice that he was there. I hope he feels pride that he's, he, he was the one who laid those foundations, really. Another brilliant player that we've spoken about a lot recently, for obvious reasons, is, is Ollie Watkins. Again, funny that... I don't know what episode it was, but it was a Monday show a few weeks ago, probably a couple of months ago now, where we said where he hadn't scored yet in the Premier League that he doesn't score this weekend. That's it. We're not talking about him again because we're sick of it. Since then, he's been on unbelievable form, really. Um, There's a a stat from who scored that I picked out earlier. There's a list of players here that have scored five or more goals and assisted five or more goals in the Premier League this season. Ollie Watkins, and that's the end of the list. So Watkins to be goal scorer and provider at the same time. In a, in a season where you would probably say he's not really got going yet, you know, the most of those um, goals scored at least have only come in the last handful of games. So he had that period at the start of the season where he hadn't scored. So to feel like Ollie Watkins is only just warming up to this season is a quite a frightening prospect, really. Yeah, we, <laughs> kind of we told you so sort of thing to the people who didn't rate or don't rate Watkins. I don't understand it. You know, I respect everyone's opinion, but I just he went five games without scoring at the start of the season. Granted, but He's so involved in the build-up and Villa was free-scoring themselves anyway. And that's um, that's shown now, as you said, Danny's got five assists, double figures for goal involvement, top centre-forward. No centre-forward kind of, you know, sorry, no two centre-forwards are the same. Uh, and Watkins might frustrate because he probably should have scored against uh, Ariola in the first kind of 15 minutes of the game. I think it was the, took an excellent touch from Diaby's pass and then skewed his uh, shot wide. But that's Watkins. He never gets two down now at least under Emery and he'll always look for the next chance because he knows that they're going to arrive and if he scores a goal a game or if that's his target he's going to get he's not going to score every game but if, if his target is to score in, in every game he's going to get 20 goals a season because he's always going to get chances um, and look at you know how well he took his uh, his opportunity when it came and again it was at such a crucial point in the game it reminded me a little bit of the game at Burnley when Diaby scored to make it 3-1 Burnley were pushing mm. for an equaliser Villa on the back foot West Ham 
uh, on Sunday, exactly the same thing. Ward Prowse swinging in corners, Villa having to deal with a lot of pressure. Uh, and Watkins comes up with a moment of um, class. Again, great ball from McGinn. And yes, he was in the box, but he had a lot of work to do there, didn't he? He didn't have to beat Zuma to get his shot off. He just needed an angle and then he wraps it into the top corner. So, um, yeah top-class centre-forward play and it's not just the goals that he's scoring or the assists he's getting, it's he's tireless, he's such a problem for defences and I was saying to, saying to my dad actually yesterday that if, if you put yourself in the kind of the opposition shoes, you don't want to be playing Ollie Watkins, Musa Diaby, John McGinn running around, um, Luca Dean basically playing as a left wing, you're putting in crosses, Luca Dean's had more crosses into the box than any player uh, in the Premier League, the third most in Europe's top five leagues this season. So there's threats from all angles and then you're thinking, well, Villa must be quite open. Then if you know if they if they're so gung ho on the counter attack and things like that, but actually no, they're not. <laughs> they're so well drilled as well. So they pick the moments to attack the Villa, and they're scoring goals. So at the moment, it's it's kind of what what can go wrong. But um, yeah, on Ollie Watkins, yeah, he's had a fantastic month, hasn't he? England call up, England goal, new contract. Mm-hmm goals um Luton Fulham coming up Forest away you know more opportunities there for him to get amongst the goals yeah it's really exciting isn't it you you certainly back him to be getting 20 goals in the Premier League I think this year the way things are going if if Villa can continue their good form and Watkins obviously stays injury free and the obvious caveats with it's a long season but I think you backed him didn't you for 20 Premier League goals at the start of the season in the preview which this this is genuinely a possibility however again obviously I predicted Villa to get top four in in the summer in our end of season and show and got laughed at by some of the room and if I'd have known back then that top five is a Champions League spot I probably just would have said Villa will get into the Champions League meaning fifth place basically I know it's yeah. only nine games still but it does feel like it's possible the way that we've started so far why aren't we allowed to get carried away from time to time I know Emery says you know we always dream and my dream is to win the Champions League and all these different things um, and we'll talk I actually want to talk about like managerial stuff in a section, a, a later section, so we'll come back to that. But it feels like Villa are on the verge of something. It's probably a, a, an easier way of saying it, whether that's just a trophy or or a, a top six finish or whatever it is. It feels like a great time to be an Aston Villa fan at the moment, and I know I'm not the only one that feels like that. Whether you agree that it's top four or top seven or whatever, we're all in this kind of wave of euphoria or whatever. Yeah, and I think it's interesting actually because we usually say, don't we, that we don't Villa don't get the credit they deserve from uh, certain sections of the media, and like, oh, but we don't care. But why are we talking about it then? But it kind of after every week now at Villa, you know, because we've won the last eleven games after every passing week, and it's the same for West Ham. More reporters uh, that aren't usually at Villa Park will say, like, mm. "Wow, like, <laughs> kind of didn't not I didn't expect it," but. Um, as in from the reporters' view, they not, it's not that they didn't expect Villa to win or anything, but it's the manner in which they're blowing teams away. And it's, you know, because we've won 11 games in a row, we don't say we expect to win games, but, you know, could Villa beat West Ham? Yes, they could. But I think people coming to games, they're watching Douglas Louise play other midfielders off the park. They're watching Ollie Watkins run relentlessly at the top of the pitch. They're watching DRB move into space and all these different things. Paul Torres kind of um, pulling the strings from centre-back. And then they're probably thinking, well, I've been to Newcastle early this season. I've been to Newcastle last season. I've been to West Ham when they were so good a few years ago. And But I'm coming to Villa and I'm seeing the same thing. And I'm seeing the same signs. This club and this team can uh, really push on and make um, something of this season. And I think there is a bit of a change in terms of that kind of, I don't know, at the start of the season when Villa were doing okay, it was like a, oh, they're doing right, but, you know, Europe's here and, you know, let's just see how they go. But even in the last couple of weeks, there seems to be a shift in my opinion of, oh, can they get Champions League? And just off a couple of results, I think that can do a lot for um, how Villa are perceived by different people. And 
as I say, the game's coming up. Villa should be in the top four come the November international break. You don't win 11, 11 games in a row by underestimating anybody. And Villa won't um, underestimate Fulham or Forest. Uh, sorry, Fulham or Luton. Forest away will be a difficult game, but a game which Villa will feel that they can win. You're not going to win every game this season, but if you win those three, or if you can collect, you know, say seven points, um, win your two home games, draw against Forest, maybe you're going to be in the top four. So that's a really good position for Villa to be in going into games against City and Arsenal. And yesterday, Emery was even asked about a title charge, which I thought was remarkable. I, I, I think that was pushing it. No, sorry, I do think that's pushing it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when the last time Villa manager was asked um, in the press room about going for a, a league title, but yeah, Christ, I, I didn't expect that. I kind of looked over my shoulder, like, you know, <laughs> let's can't don't we go from like zero to 100 really quickly? And, yeah, and yeah. Like, I, I actually joked about it on the post match show that Villa were two points off top spot uh, yesterday. Like, how far can Villa go? Is it a push for the title? As an obvious tongue in cheek, that yeah, yeah. not would certainly not title challenges at all. But if we'd have beaten Wolves. We'll be joined top now. I know, <laughs> I know yeah. every team will have those uh, things. Lick of paint. This that, but yeah, it's mad really, isn't it? That we could yeah. be that close. So at this point in, I think probably the last time somebody was asked about winning a title was possibly the lockdown season when, you know, when Villa and Everton were top after like three or four games. <laughs> possibly. I know nine games is still fairly small, but people say, like, oh, I don't look at the table till 10 games. We're almost there. And nine games is a quarter <laughs> of the season, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah, so, I it's obviously I, I, still too early for that, but where we are at the moment, this isn't three or four games played and, and Villa have got 12 points out of 15. This is 19 points out of whatever it is, and that's that's a really, really good return. And given that Man City have dropped a couple of points and Spurs look better, Arsenal have dropped a couple of points, Villa to be where they are at this point in the season, the end of October, and two points off the top is... It's unbelievable. Yeah, and when you contextualise it with the Alex Moreno, Jacob Ramsey setbacks, Tyra Mings and yeah, when yeah. they're not even being available, Villa have gone to Liverpool, they've gone to Newcastle. Granted, they've lost those games, but they've beaten Brighton, they've beaten West Ham, scored 17 goals in four home games. It's, a, it's been a crazy start to the season, really. Um, and if you said all of those things, you'd say, oh, where are Villa? And then you look at the table and it's two points off top at the moment. Yeah, Spurs play tonight, but, you know, say three points then. I tend to look at, it's interesting the kind of, where do you look at the, um, at what point of the season do you look at the table before you kind of uh, kind of take it as, you know, as face value? And I, I, I always do it after the first, um, well, 19 games, the first kind of, everyone's That's played hard. each other once. Mm. Yeah, and I think that takes you up to around, is that like, Boxing Day-ish. Boxing Day, um, Christmas, Christmas yeah. Time. Yeah, around there. I think that's when you can take stock and really look at where you are. Yes, we have Europe, but Emery's already stated that this is the priority this season in terms of league mm. football. And yes, yeah, he's yeah. determined to win that Europa Conference League. But I think, and this is what I said a few weeks ago, if Villa would get into those latter rounds of the competition, then there will naturally be a, you know, there will be a focus on that then. But I think for now, Emery's kind of, you know, let's get through, let's beat these teams. Um, almost on the back, not almost on the back of burner, because every game he takes is sing, a single, as I said earlier. But, you know, let's uh, go to Alkmaar, as we'll touch on later, and let's try and win. If we don't, we'll draw and hopefully um, then get and then get through, win those games. And then, I don't know, say, say March, for example, when we're a few points away from top four, top five, and we're in the semi-final, quarter-final of the Conference League, that's when it's really going to get um, kind of into the nitty and gritty of right, what are the priorities exactly and how are we going to manage it? And that's going to mm. define Villa's season. I think up until then, up until February, March time, Villa just need to chip away at these, uh, at these games and let's see where they are, as I say. Of the next three league games, you'd expect Villa to probably be in the top four. And then you've got City and Arsenal. I don't want to say free hits because, you know, who knows what Villa can achieve this season. But 
you're not going to those games kind of worrying about slipping down the league table or being this many mm. points off this team. If you look at the table now, we're already got a decent um, yeah. gap from kind of out of seventh place and nicer to start the season. If you're looking just get European football this term, I think that would be a success um, as long as they win the conference league. So I do think Europa League, that is important as kind of a next step. The doomsday outcome would be Villa not being in Europe at all next season, which at the moment doesn't seem likely. But we're nine games nine games in, and we've won one and lost one of our opening um, two group stage matches. So there's a long way to go yet. And there'll be some element of Villa fans that saying that we're getting carried away, and neutral fans certainly will think Villa are getting carried away after only nine games. But I think the positive feeling comes from me, at least anyway, that the back end of last season was also very good. The whole of yeah. 2023 largely has been very good under Unai Emery because of the points total that, we, that we've seen. I keep referring to it, so I might as well just read it now. Uh, in 2023, only Man City with 74 and Arsenal with 62 have amassed as many Premier League points as Villa, but also 62 in 2023. So if this if 2023 was a season, we'd be third, joint yeah. second with Arsenal. So I think, yeah, people will say it's only nine games, like there's a long way to go, and that's absolutely true for this Not season. There. But the calendar year for Villa has been very good and the way we got into Europe last year has kept like the mood at Villa keeps rising. Yeah. So we feel like, well, forget like the summer break when nothing happened. Villa have been good consistently for a long mm. time now. So it isn't just nine games to us. But I, I do get that talking about top four semi-finals of the Conference League and the title is going to get some accusations of, oh, they're getting carried away. But the general and that, feeling is Villa are yeah. very good now. And those all those things will be decided, not the title, that's you know rubbish, but... <laughs> top four, you know, top five even, and conference league uh, final potentially that will be decided later in the season. It's just about mm. being in a, the best position possible to reach those targets. And Emery literally views every game as one as one step, and that's why talking after nine games of the season, Villa could actually be like, I don't know, the point you make there, then about Villa fans aren't excited because we're two points off, you know, the top. It, I'm not excited about that at all. I don't really care where we are in the league at the moment. It's that we've kind of picked up from where we left off last season and that's the thing that I think a lot of fans will be um, happy with especially after losing to like Newcastle 5-1 so yeah a lot to be uh, positive about but yeah we need to kind of just temper those expectations a little bit and just see where we are I think come um, come come the turn of the year and then you know let's see where we can go from there I wrote something this morning actually about Villa I actually think we'll probably just improve from here which is quite yes, you know remarkable I think outsiders would take that as like oh shut up you know you trying to you know ride on the crest of a wave but Pau Torres has only played nine Premier League games the has only played nine Premier League games those players will continue to improve Douglas Luiz is showing no sign of kind of letting off in his development uh, same as Ollie Watkins you know these players are getting better it feels like the longer you work with Emery um, especially for this group of players they're improving still and as I say last season I didn't think that we'd be able to thrash these teams I think beating them would be, be a positive thing but we're actually putting them to bed like you know, quite convincingly. Um, and that's something that if Newcastle were doing that to um, us, Brighton and West Ham, for example, I'd, I'd, I'd really take notice and think, well, they'll be in the top four again this season. Um, so I think we need to kind of give credit to ourselves as well and think, well, we're that team now. So, mm. yeah, really exciting. Just a couple of individuals I want to mention before we took a look at like a wider look of Unai Emery. Um, Nicolo Zaniolo had a very difficult international break I guess we could say um, I thought it was a good show of faith by him and, and the scenario by Unai Emery to, to start him on, on Sunday against West Ham and kind of prove a point for want of a, letter, a better phrase what did you make of his uh, his performance because we didn't really touch on him on, on, Sunday's, game, uh, on Sunday's video at all yeah again um, encouraging I've kind of saying it most weeks now about Zaniolo I think his final product needs a bit of improvement but 
ultimately, I think, is a player that's making an impact for Villa. That's what he was signed to do, is a loan signing. Yes, Villa can sign him um, permanently if certain things are met, should we say. He played a part for the first goal, which was obviously an important you know, opening in the game. And, you know, he, he drives with the ball well, he links play well. But I think sometimes his final product, maybe the final decision isn't quite there. Um, but if it was, then I don't think Villa would be getting him on loan from Galatasaray. So, um, yeah, he's what I expected, really. I, I think a, a solid player and a, a good addition. Yeah, I thought he did well for the goal. And that was something that we didn't mention. The the, uh, the, the stats phrase that go around is the pre-assist, isn't it? He doesn't yeah. get the assist because Watkins plays it to uh, Douglas Ruiz, but Danny Olo does well in the first place to even get it back to Watkins. So, um, yeah. yeah, fair play to him given the circumstances to come in and, and have a, a pretty decent performance all round, I thought. And if the um, off-the-field stuff kind of goes away and he's cleared of any wrongdoing and he can just focus on his football, I think he he will, he can be a, a dangerous asset for Villa moving forward. And, and I'll say what I've said before, whether I was told I was being harsh or not, when he does contribute a goal of, him, of his own, I do think he will he will kind of step up another another level with that confidence and there's just something in him waiting to be unlocked and we've not quite seen that yet. Uh, the second part I wanted to mention, and we'll gloss over this very briefly because we've spoken about it off air and there isn't really anything to report, but we've been asked questions about it. So I'm kind of just doing my duty of the audience watching to get this on air. Uh, John Duran. Is somebody that I was asked questions of after Sunday's post-match show saying, where was he? Why was he not on the bench? Have we heard anything? Is he injured? Has he had a falling out with Unai Emery? Uh, and since his Instagram has been wiped of any mention of Aston Villa, no Aston Villa photos, he's got a couple of Columbia uh, match pictures on his pinned profile or whatever, no reference of him being an Aston Villa footballer anywhere. Uh, and that kind of tends to lead people to go, there's a problem here. He's clearly unhappy. Player deletes social media. That's a, that's a story these days. First thing I'll say is I don't think the social media thing is important. I don't think there's anything in that really. That's my personal take on it. The second is that Emery wasn't asked about John Duran, so we don't have any facts to report. So we can't say for sure whether there has been any any falling out or whether there hasn't, uh, and that if we can find out any information on this, you know, in the in the coming days or whatever, that's your job to do that. But as of right now. We don't really know anything. Yeah, I've asked around, so hopefully we get an answer before Wednesday. But if not, there's a press conference head of AZ that Emery will do uh, in the Netherlands. And obviously, Durano will be asked about then. So yeah, we don't know if there's an issue or if he's just injured. Or I'm not sure. Obviously, he's come back from international duty. I think he played uh, I know he played at least once for Colombia. He might have played twice. So yeah, we'll get an update this week on that. I feel like I'm kind of like sidestepping the issue by not really saying anything. But because we've been asked about it, I can't just say, Oh, let's just not talk about it because we don't know. Like, I'm going to be honest and say, yeah, we don't know, but if we can find out, we will. Before we jump into the rest of the show, I just want to share with you a brand new publication from Reach PLC, celebrating and covering everything that is women's football. It's a monthly magazine of wall-to-wall women's football, including our very own Aston Villa women's team, of course. If you want to know more or grab yourselves a copy, head to birminghamlive.co.uk and order yours today. Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay, and so are we. So for those watching on YouTube, I've changed the background. So we've got the Europa Conference League uh, logo there rather than the Premier League one, because we're going to talk about AZ Altmar a little bit now. Uh, obviously, that's Thursday's game away from home, which on paper looks like one of the most difficult games Villa will play in the group. Uh, Legia Warsaw away was also another difficult one, and we didn't fare too well there, did we? So... Uh, there's probably two kind of parts of the the, the conversation we're going to go down here, and that's team selection 
and kind of how important the game is. So let's do team selection first. How strong do you go here if you're in Iamru? I go full strength. <laughs> I think okay, it's, and I, now we move on. <laughs> I, I think it's a really important game. I'd say it's certainly a game that Villa must not lose. I don't think it's a must win because I think if Villa draw the game, you know, you play Azad at home, you play Legia at home still. Uh, you can win both those games and a trip to Mostar, you know, a, a game that Villa should win as well. Um, but we know how these things work and Azad will be a really difficult game. I, I, I do believe it. They've... Uh, won eight of their first nine games in the league. They've drawn once, so they're unbeaten. They've only conceded four goals, I think, in nine games, which is quite remarkable. Um, yes, it's the Eredivisie, but Legia also play in the, I don't know how to pronounce the Polish table, uh, the Polish Polish division, sorry. I just think it's going to be a very difficult game. And West Ham well, went there last season. Also going, well, they play in the Premier League. Villa will be a difficult side. That, I think, is an advantage for them in terms of having that mentality of this is our biggest game of the season. Um, yeah, maybe not biggest game of the season because they're... Like a scalp. You know, yeah, they're playing for um, their second at the moment. They beat Ajax away a couple of weeks ago, although <laughs> everyone beats Ajax these days. They're second yeah. bottom, I think. But it will be a really difficult game. I, I, I'm not expecting anything other than trouble uh, in terms of... Trouble. That sounds a bit dramatic. Um, <laughs> problems are not off the pitch. On, on the pitch, Villa, are, they're going to have to suffer in parts of the game. Uh, they're going to have to take the chances when they come because I, I don't think Villa are just going to turn up and dominate at all against Legia. You know, you would have thought Villa dictate the game, have seventy percent possession, and it did not work out like that at all. So yeah, I think it'll be really difficult. And again, it depends on the context. Context, sorry, of the match, but I would take a point right now. Well, I think a few weeks ago we spoke about like the priorities of the Conference League or the Premier League. And I was like, well, the tro- the, the, it was after the Carabao Cup, wasn't it? The mm. the Everton exit, how we prioritise the different competitions. And I was like, well, the Cups are important because you either win or you're out kind of thing. And that's slightly different for the Conference League because obviously the, the first part is a group. So if you lose, it isn't the end of the world because you can claw it back. But if you keep, obviously keep losing, it will be the end of the world. Um, okay. But because now we're, we're ticking along nicely in the Premier League, I'm kind of thinking, well, if we go full strength on Thursday and lose to Luton, for example, God forbid, that's pretty rubbish, isn't it? But then I suppose you would still think, well, we've got 28 games left in the Premier League and beating out always is vastly important to the group. So, yeah, I'm not sure how I look at it as an overall, but I'm probably blinded by bias. I think oh, we're probably good enough to win both games <laughs> regardless. So does it really matter how we do it? I think if you're taking games by couples and you take AZ and Luton uh, and then you take uh, a trip to Mostar and I think it might be either Man City or Arsenal potentially in that week, which one's the harder, you know, mm. I just think if you go full strength against AZ, um, you avoid defeat, should we say, and then you play Luton at the weekend. you could afford with... to rotate against Luton possibly? I don't think you have to rotate either. Genuinely, I just, I'm... I don't like the whole, like, oh, players can't play. We don't play then for another week. Um, mm. So they can rest for a few days and then gear up for Forest away the next weekend. So I just think play your full strength against AZ. Get out of there uh, with a result, a win or a draw, I think is, you know, obviously we'd prefer a win. I think if you win the game, you're you're in a really good position then to qualify, top in, topping the group. And if you draw, if you draw, you're basically avoiding a bit of a nightmare situation where you have to win all of your remaining games um, which again Villa are capable of doing but I don't want to go into the last game away against Mostar having to rely on a a different result should we say you you want it to be in your own hands and I said before topping the group is really important because you don't want to be playing that that qualifier that uh, kind of knockout qualifier that you have to play in February or something and yeah I'll take it if if we lose against AZ but 
while we have the power in our own hands to kind of shape our own destiny in the group, um, let's just go full strength against AZ. We are capable of beating Luton with Yuri Tielemans playing or, uh, I don't know, Matty Cash comes out and Conte plays right back, Carlos comes in. It, mm. Luton are by far the underdogs in that in that game and they'll be bang up for it because, it's, again, it's a scalp. Some of those players will, won't have played at Villa Park before and it'll be a brilliant experience for them. But I think if you look at the results that they have got so far this season, you have to question the opposition though because Forrest are 2-0 up against them and both goals yeah. that they conceded to Luton were shocking from a defensive point of view. Like genuinely Luton, credit to them, they don't stop and they won't stop because you know their journey to get to the Premier League is remarkable and those players are kind of living the dream really. Um, so fair play to them. But they shouldn't come to Villa Park and um, get anything from the game as long as Villa put in their own effort. And um, mm. and I'm certain that Villa will do that because I say before Emery plans for every game in isolation. But yeah, full strength against AZ, full strength against Luton, unless you have to make a couple of changes here and there. And then you've got a whole week to prepare to for, prepare for Forest. So you're going to, my knowledge is it is it Netherlands? <laughs> include this. No, no, no. I'm my head, it is. I don't have to include it at all. <laughs> <laughs> probably have to include that now because the next clip is going to have us laughing so I'm probably going to have to leave it in um, so you're going to the Netherlands of course we all know where AZ Altmar is uh, you're going there this week obviously yeah. this question is dependent by if you knew the result so let's say we play a rotated side Olsen plays Dendonka Duran etc now if Villa win the game obviously it doesn't matter you'd be happy but if you're there in the Netherlands as we all know and that team news comes out at half three half four whenever it is and it is that heavily rotated side, what would you be thinking? That we're asking for trouble. <laughs> yeah. As, as we did against Legia, we were asking um, asking for problems and, and we got them. So, it, I mean, it's crazy because I'm I'm just me. And Unai Emery is a <laughs> four-time four uh, Europa League <laughs> winner. So, ultimately, I'm not going to... Que- oh, I have questioned. Um, ultimately, I'm not going to say to him in the press conference, like, oh, why did you do that? Or, you know, I mean, I mean, you should because... But if we win the game with yeah. a rotated side, then yeah, you what go, comes, oh, that's fine. Yeah, what it comes down to is that Emery trusts the players in his squad and he always says after wins, like for example, the win over West Ham, he said we, we need every player um, learning this system. But the issue is that some of them are learning on the job and learning on the job away against Alkmaar, I think is just asking for problems, whereas um, a full strength 11 will, won't have those issues. And say if we go 2-0 up, then can Tielemans come on um, and kind of try and get used to it that way. And I think it was a good idea to bring him on against West Ham because they're a big team, a physical team. And they were still pushing when we, was, when we were 3-1. So him having that experience thing helps. So, yeah, for me, full strength. And if I do see a kind of you know, three, four changes, then, you know, yes, we can still win the game. Of course we can because we're a good squad. We have a good squad, sorry. But I think that, that would only play into AZ's hands. Right, let's go back to the Premier League then or 2023 as a whole, really, or the last year. Avuna Emery, he was, as I've just quickly checked on Google, appointed exactly one year today as this podcast goes out on Tuesday, the 24th of October, uh, appointed as Aston Villa head coach then. I think his first game in charge was the 1st of November off the top of my head uh, against Man United, certainly in November anyway, if it wasn't the 1st. What a year it's been, John. Uh, I'm not asking you to reminisce on your, your best result or your favourite moment and things like that on the, on the spot, unless you can think of them. That'd be lovely. Um, but just... Just how good we've been and how good we've been so far this season. We've alluded to it a few times with the record in 2023. Another start I saw before we came on was most goals scored in the Premier League this season. Newcastle 24, Villa 23 and Brighton 22. And the tweet that I saw that from, I've copied and pasted it, so I don't know who it is from. But they said, like, and it was like a brand account, who would have expected that top three? And I was thinking, 
well, I expected Villa to be up there as one of the most, uh, as one of the sides that scores the most goals. Like, yeah, people think Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, but three sides there are sides that have been kind of knocking on the door of upsetting the establishment, haven't they? With Newcastle getting Champions League, Brighton Europa League, and us Conference League, and wanting to have aspirations to to be better than that and do more and win trophies and whatever. It's three very good sides there, and, and Emery's a massive part of us even being in that conversation. We spoke about the, the Villa Park record. The only clubs in Europe's top five leagues currently on longer winning runs at home than Emery's Villa, Man City with 14, and Atletico Madrid with 13. Just talk to me and summarise as best you can the <laughs> job that Emery's done. We've kind of said, haven't we, a few times, like, it's not even been quite a year yet. As this comes out, it is now officially one year. It's just an unbelievable job. Like I don't know how many times I can say it, but I just I can't, I can't quite get my head around where we were a year ago when Stephen Gerrard was thinking about to where we are now under Emery. Yeah, Emery was obviously asked about it in his uh, press conference. It was his pre-match presser that he was asked about it. And he said that it's gone really fast. And I, I agree. <laughs> it has gone really fast. And I think that's because of the success that he's had. Uh, success in terms of... Because I'll say this straight away. For this period to count, you know, in Villa's history, we need to win silverware and we need to you know, mark it, you know, tangibly and qualifying for Champions League for some people won't be that because we do need to win a trophy. And I'm, I'm kind of in the camp of, yeah, just kind of win a League Cup if you need to, um, just to mark it. But what he has achieved is he's, I don't want to say it's like United a fan base sort of thing, but he's brought everyone together in terms of we're all now no how Aston Villa have and are going to progress as a football club. Whereas previously, I think there was always questions over, does this striker need to be sold? Do we need to bring a new striker in? What what, what happens to this midfielder? Um, you know, even before that, it was like, oh, how do we get the best out of Grealish? We, you know, too, uh, you know, we're too reliant on him. What's this with the manager? Do we have the right scouts? All of this stuff. When Emery's just strolled into the football club and he's brought some of his uh, powers with him <laughs> and the transformation's just been incredible. I mean, in my lifetime, I'm only 23, but I'm sure in a lot of other people's lifetimes as well, they probably don't remember a Villa manager, um, not for a long time anyway, that that they are so confident in that will mm-hmm. that they can and will deliver success. I have absolutely yeah. no doubt that Emery can win silverware with Villa. You know, um, he says his, his dreams about... Uh, uh, winning trophies and qualifying for, qualifying for the Champions League. He genuinely means that. And I've absolutely no reason to doubt it. And that's mm. incredible coming from myself as a Villa fan. I've never seen Villa win a trophy. I've never seen Villa really compete as well as um, as well as they are now. Yes, there was those Martin O'Neill's ye- Martin O'Neill years. In a weird way... No, even that was like different, wasn't it? It was different because I feel like, and this isn't any discredit at all, but Villa had a very good squad, a squad that was capable of getting the top four probably should have and they were one of the top six teams in the division whereas I feel like in the Premier League nowadays there's so many good teams you know, that, that mm. West Ham team is top quality Villa's team you know play for player I wouldn't change it I'd, I'd keep this Villa team together but you know it, it's very tight and we're blowing them blowing them away 4-1 you've got Newcastle now you know some clubs are you know backed by states it's so competitive and here we are um you know and we are all confident that we can get top four, top five. And that's just remarkable considering yeah. the depth of opposition that we're facing. You've got Man United, Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, Arsenal, um, Man City, Newcastle, West Ham are good. Uh, Brighton are excellent in their own right. Brentford are a very difficult team to play. Palace have been in the, in, in, uh, in the division for years and we got promoted, what, four or five years ago. The ascent that we've been on is remarkable. And I hear, I hear people say, oh, yeah but, yeah, but Villa spent this amount of money and Firstly, we had to spend the amount of money that we did in the first year to try and be competitive. We lost all of our players out on loan. 
we then have to sell uh, Grealish, uh, you know, because of a release clause and um, building from that is never easy. And we bought three players who, you know, one of which is already gone, two of which didn't play together. And Emery, that isn't an issue anymore because he's playing Bailey in the right way. Buendia had an injury, but last season he played so many games. Um, it, it's like every issue or kind of question mark that we had before Emery's arrival He's kind of just rubbed out with his rubber <laughs> and it's not an issue anymore on that list of things. It, it, there's so many positives now and it's um it's just so exciting and you, you really feel like Villa are like they're more than back. I I I've I I haven't experienced this villa before, yeah. put it that way. I, I haven't had this enthusiasm. Last year, um, you know, you were thinking, Oh, who's the ma- which manager is gonna finally break into that top ten? That was only a year ago. That's so we're so far past that now. Um, and we're five years into the ownership uh, of um, Nasef Suiris and Wes Edens. Their backing has been fantastic, of course. They're, um, you know, they're building infrastructure and uh, not just buying players for, uh, you know, you know, from the pitch. They're acquiring different uh, stakes in clubs as well. So it's just so exciting. And Emery leading the way for the senior team as well. The women's team, obviously, last season doing really well. The season hasn't started so much. Um, you know, it's good. But in terms of Emery, yeah, he's... It's just he's everything that you want in a manager, and um, just as a side note as well, with the way he carries himself, uh, something that probably gets underrated um, within other circles, not for Villa fans, you know, who say hello, good evening, and um, you know, good afternoon, etc. In press conferences all the time, he's always so um, polite. When I was out in the states as well, covering the club, it was so um, open and um, really warm as were the rest of his team Damian Vidigani Monchi all those guys really they are the perfect band of people that you want driving this club forward and they're doing it as well we're heading into a really exciting era yeah that's a, a brilliant answer and one that will certainly be clipped up on social media because that's my my job is a really good answer you, you can crack on for like 30 minutes talking about more stuff and obviously we don't have that time but it's just do you know what I mean it's so um you can feel it and every fan, you know, I feel like every fan would want to send in like a 30 minute uh, video of like, here's why, here's what I think about Emery. And you could probably make like a five hour movie about it, Dan. But anyway. You've mentioned a couple of things there that I want to kind of dissect and, and speak about as well. The comparison with the O'Neill era, I think is very interesting because you mentioned earlier about like for this period of success to actually mean anything to the history books is they'll have to win something because this moment of, you know, winning 11 games at home or Ollie Watkins scoring five and five or Douglas Wee yeah. scoring in consecutive home games or whatever. Well, looks nice as a record and will be spoken about by the player in the future that attempts to beat it. But if Villa don't win anything and Emery's sacked in a year and a half, God forbid, because he doesn't do anything, <laughs> it'll just be like, well, it was a good time. But, you know, if you look at Villa, it won't really be remembered. Comparing that to the O'Neill days, which is the, the generation that we remember as the last bit of success... On paper, Emery's not even achieved things that O'Neill has yet. Finished top six three years in a row. Emery's only got us to seven. I say only got us to seven. The competitiveness of the league is different. O'Neill got us to a cup final. Emery's not done that yet. We've not even got past the first knockout stage of a cup game under Emery yet. So in theory, on paper, O'Neill achieved more than Emery has. Enthusiasm I have towards Emery versus O'Neill. And again, the O'Neill thing was, what, 15-odd years ago? So I I was much younger then and would obviously feel differently about it i never had like when you talk about the, the matches specifically we were good on the counter weren't we we had pace we had people like Ashley young and gabby and carew was a, was a nice footballer and they should have certainly done more but we never had that like the same feeling of control in matches that i feel now under emory like we play in a totally different way like i don't really remember us 
there will be moments, of course, because O'Neill was there for what four seasons. But I don't really remember moments where we like dominated a side like we have done to Brighton this year, West Ham this year, and, and countless other games where we've been the by far the better team and scored three or four goals. Like mm-hmm. that will have happened under O'Neill, of course, and I can't think of any off the top of my head. But generally, I just feel that Emery's philosophy, I guess, for want of a better word, is much more of a rounded, complete thing than what O'Neill had, despite O'Neill achieving more than Emery has so far, if that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think going back to the the point you mentioned there earlier on about like Louisa scoring six games, Watkins maybe getting twenty goals this season, all of those things, you are right, mean <laughs> kind of nothing. But what it does prove is that Villa are on the right track to achieving yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, of course. And of course. seriously, I never thought that I never thought would I say never, but I had no idea when Villa were going to get in Europe. It could have been 10 years down the line, you know, thinking back 12 months because we all know V Sports wanted it within five and that was kind of like a big ambitious plan and we've done it kind of just about. Um, but I never had that feeling of, oh, you know, I'm, that I'm going to see a Villa team that are going to compete in Europe, which hopefully they do and I think they can. Um, and that they'd be able to win, you know, cups and silverware. And as you say, we've we've really have failed on that front at the moment yeah. but yeah if, if there's there aren't many fan bases like ours but if there is one that have um kind of struggled and kind of had the life sucked out of us in the last you know however long i shouldn't be sitting here thinking that you know oh, we'll win trophies we'll we'll you know hopefully get champions league football in a couple of years if not next year or whatever um i shouldn't feel like that but i do because of emery and 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 the rate in which we've progressed and the way he's transformed the club and that's what it's done it's it's literally breathed life um mm. into the fan base into the club and yeah you just hope that with all of that it comes together and that we can win things and that we can have a, a you know a dominant era because that's what emery wants and that's that's why he's here he's not you know, he said before that um, you know he'll take time uh, to go through tactics, to go through games, but he's so impatient for success, and that's exactly what what he wants to deliver. And Villa are giving him all the tools to do it. You just hope it comes together. And yeah, what a first year it's been. Yeah, something I said last year, and I've said for a long time now, is that you know when we did our end of season predictions towards the back end of the year, we're like how Villa get into Europe, and you know, we were talking about Anfield away and whatever. And I said then like. We might not necessarily beat Liverpool, but Emery's given me the belief that we can beat anybody. And that is yeah. something that's followed on to this season as well, that you talk about Man City and Arsenal coming up in a few weeks. And two, three seasons ago under Dean Smith, who I'll mention very quickly in a second, you'd have gone, oh, we've got no chance against the same, have we? Like they're, they're way better than us, or whatever. And they still are, on paper, miles ahead of us, particularly Man City. But I wouldn't now go into that game thinking, well, Villa have got no chance here. I don't feel that way under Emery in any game against any opposition. I will think, well, we can win today against absolutely anybody. And that's yeah. such a great feeling to have as a fan and as a match-going fan at Villa Park, at least. I travel to Villa Park every single week thinking, I don't really care who we're playing today. I don't know what the teams is. I don't really care who they're playing. We're good enough to be able to put on a show against anybody. And if we're on song, we can beat anybody. And as a football fan, there's no better feeling than that belief in your in your football club. Just want to mention Dean Smith very quickly that, again, for people of our generation, you've got O'Neill, Smith, and now Emery as like the three best managers of, what, the last 20 years, probably, 15 years. And Dean Smith being there on Sunday and interviewing Emery for Sky before. We mentioned it on Sunday's post-match show, but it was like the ex-girlfriend and the current girlfriend like meeting in this weird uh, situation. <laughs> but to many, I've like, thought about it with hindsight, Emery is fast becoming my favourite 
Villa manager and having only been here for one year is pretty mad, really. And he's not won anything and whatever else. Before yeah. that, Dean Smith is like my favourite manager. Despite O'Neill, we had some good times under him. The, the Dean Smith era and what came with it and manager as captain and the Luke Roper shirts and the fairy tale promotion and whatever. Like that period of time in my life with Dean Smith as manager of Aston Villa was like, he's like the guy, like he's one of us and whatever. Seeing like the, the predecessor and the current manager together as like the favourite manager and the one who's actually very good at being a, a manager or the, the head coach, like being together. We've been on such a, a wild journey on in the last five years and the last three years since promotion and the last one year under Emery that it does feel like, and we've said a few times, that this club is geared up towards success. And I do feel like if we don't win something under Unai Emery, what hope have we got really? Because if he can't do it pack with this in, group of players, we, have, we might as well pack it in and go home. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think you're probably about right. Um, but again, it, it, it's that trust and belief that we'll, that we'll get there. And, I've every every faith that fully fully believe what Emery's put in place and that we trust him. It's got all. It's got. Yeah, we've been through it before. He's got the track record, and in the current day, what he's doing is sensational. And yeah, as we mentioned earlier, Dean Smith laid these foundations. And I said at the time in which Emery was appointed, um, when we spoke to Game Balagay and did podcasts about Emery, Villa need Villa are a club that need that needs a figure like Dean Smith, like Emery, someone that demands respect uh, on and off the pitch and is bloody good at the job as well. Dean Smith in a different way in terms of he's an expert in the championship. He gets his promoted. He, and I think sometimes it also gets um, kind of uh, underrated the success he had actually in the first two seasons that we had back in the Premier League. The first season was so difficult in terms of um, players being sold or going back out on loan, sorry. Uh, so leaving the club, going back to the parent clubs, then we're having to, having to buy 11 players for about 11 million quid uh, on an average spend. That's peanuts in the Premier League. So f- the fact that we stayed up, I think it's remarkable. Uh, and then the second season, he gets the best out of Jack Grealish and we finish in our highest league position for uh, you know X amount of years and whatever. But now uh, Emery's taken on a, another level and we needed that elite manager to get us into the elite bracket of, um, you know, of, of the Premier League and hopefully into Europe in the coming years. So yeah, first year, big tick and... What's exciting is that we're you know, sitting here in 12 months' time. I don't want to limit what we can achieve in that period. Hopefully, um, there's a trophy in there. And who knows, maybe Champions League football as well. But yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see. Emery's here for a long time, I hope. And um, you know, plenty of time to you know, achieve his goals. That's enough for this show, John. We've, we've rambled on, on on various different topics today, looking back at Wolves, looking ahead to AZ Altmar and looking back retrospectively at, at one year of Uno Emery. Um, before we end the show, I'm going to jump back to a piece that I recorded with Matt Kendrick on Sunday in the section that is still unnamed because I didn't really vibe with any, any of the suggestions in the comments of, here's something I saw this week and want to share, I want to talk about or whatever I've decided with. Right, Matt, very random. Obviously, the rest of this podcast has been me and John, but in the section of, here's something I saw this week and wanted to talk about, still not been known by something proper, so let's just go with it. Um, I went to my fiancé's granddad's house over the weekend, and he pulled this out from upstairs. It's a football sticker book from the Daily Star from 1980. We worked it out in the end. The book cost 20p, and the stickers were a penny, apparently. Uh, it's a complete book of whoever was in the first division at the time. I've got Newcastle and Chelsea. I've got Wolves here. There's Andy Gray. The Villa one, I've got a problem with it, and I raised it with him. I shouldn't really admit this, but he's an Albion fan. 
So what does he know about football? But he was adamant that this wasn't a mistake, but I am. And I've not spoken about this to anyone. And my dad will clear it up. And I think you will as well. Here's the Villa page. I'm convinced, and I know for a fact, in fact, that that is not Des Bremner top left. It's, it's Gordon Cowens next to Gordon Cowens, isn't he? Exactly. He's wearing the same shirt, which I know they wore shirts for multiple seasons, and he very clearly looks different. He's got a different haircut. But I was like, that's not Des Bremner. That's Sid Cowens. Where's the Des Bremner sticker? And why is the two Gordon Cowan stickers from maybe different eras, but he's in the same shirt? I was very confused. But this is the year that we, we that we won the league, where you've got the honours in the middle. There's no mention of the European Cup, because obviously we haven't won it yet. There's, you've got Division 1 champions, and the most recent time we'd won it was 1909-10. to 10. On the right-hand side, you've got like a, a profile of each player, their position, where they joined from, when they joined Villa. And randomly, something that you don't see these days, height and weight. <laughs> I suppose you see height sometimes, but you've got like Gordon Cowan's height, five foot eight, weight, nine stone two. I just thought it was interesting. Some of these players on here that were obviously Aston Villa royalty, aren't they? It's, it's just a really nice thing I wanted to, to share with people that are watching that this 43-year-old sticker book is still intact and still complete. So if someone wants to make an offer to my uh, partner, granddad, uh, let me know. It looks like somebody's asked Gary Shaw a really, really difficult question that he can't quite fathom. <laughs> yeah, the pictures aren't the most flattering, are they, when these were done? Something I wanted to talk about this week. There's the segment. There is a, an address on the back where you like send off any duplicates, so I send them a letter and say, you owe me a Des Bremner sticker. <laughs> See if they still make them. <laughs> Somebody might right. get sacked on the back of that. Uh, that'll do us, Matt. Thank you very much for joining us very quickly at the end of this uh, Tuesday show. Uh, thanks to John from earlier for uh, jumping on as well. This is the outro for that show that we recorded on Sunday night, but this is coming out Tuesday. So you and me are both all over the place. Uh, but thank you for watching this piece of content on Claret and Blue or listening on Spotify. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday for the Europa Conference League game against AZ Altmar. So we'll see you all then. 